John chapter 8. John chapter 8, now it opens, our text that we read is the end of the chapter, but the chapter opens with a group of men, of angry men who want to stone a woman to death for the sin of adultery. The end of the chapter ends with a group of men wanting to stone Jesus for blasphemy. Interesting connection. Um, the, let, me, let me just talk a little context. Uh, the first part of the chapter, verses uh, 1 through 11, is the story of the woman taken in adultery. The, the Jews and the, uh, the, the ruling Jews, the Pharisees and the scribes bring this woman to Jesus and uh, they parade everyone, they parade her in front of everyone and they are treating her, of course, shamefully asking Jesus if he would follow the law of Moses and have her stoned. Of course, it was all to trap him. Regardless, and some of you will have notes in, your, in the side of your, in your margin or notes somewhere. Regardless of the textual criticism of this passage as to its inclusion the, in, the, in this letter that John wrote, this passage that John wrote, was it truly from John? It makes really no, no difference. The, the principles of, and the tenets taught in this story are emphasized throughout the teaching and life of Jesus so clearly that I'm happy to present it today. The rest of the chapter, though, starts a very nasty part, as Eddie alluded to already this morning when he read it, of the Pharisees and the ruling Jews who then begin to say, well, who is, who, who are you? And they're questioning the identity of Jesus. Where are you from? And there's a, gr a great discussion about the divinity of Jesus, the deity of Jesus Christ in this chapter, which we can't read all of. We just do not have the time. But the, the Jews are boasting of their ancestry and lineage, that they're from God's their father, the descendant of Abraham. And Jesus, of course, he, uh, when they question where he is, you look at verse 23, where he's from, verse 23, he says, you are from below, I am from above. That's pretty clear. You are from below, and it doesn't mean just the lower part of the earth, like South Texas. You are from below. And he explains that even more later on. And because in verse 44, he said, I tell you who you are. Verse 44, you belong to your father, the devil. Pretty clear. So they're not real happy with Jesus. So that's the context. This is what's going on. And let's, let's start at verse 48. Then uh, the Jews answered him. So, but, but remember two things as we study this. There are two things that are tied together that I mentioned in the first story and the last story. At the first, rocks, stones are mentioned, and the theme is condemnation. And in the last story, the theme is condemnation and rocks to be thrown. All right, we'll tie that in in just a moment. Look at verse 48. Then Jesus answered him, and then the Jews, I'm sorry, the Jews answered him, aren't we right in saying that you are Samaritan and demon-possessed? You're right, Eddie, that's pretty rough language. He didn't answer. They're making a racial slur. 
Samaritan. They're making a racial slur. We could do that today, and all of you would recognize it. There are racial slurs that we're very, very familiar with. There's no difference. This is a, 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 the Samaritans were hated by the Jews. They called them half-breeds. That's what they, that was the common name for them. So he said, he said you're, you're a Samaritan and you're demon-possessed. Notice Jesus, very wise, doesn't respond to the racial slur. Any way he would have responded would have been difficult, wouldn't it? If he said, I'm not a Samaritan, they say, oh, well, you're, you're holier than thou. You're condemning them. Or if he just, there was, no, there was no right answer in the Jews' eyes for Jesus to, to respond to these, uh, these comments. He said, I'm not possessed by a demon. He did, he did say something about that. Why did he say, why did he uh, get upset there? Why did he answer there? Why did Jesus say, well, I'm not demon-possessed? Why would he say that and not respond to the Samaritan racial slur? Well, we know why he didn't respond to the racial slur. Why did he respond to the demon-possession slur, slander? Why? Why do you think? Demons are from the devil. Sorry? Demons are from the devil. That's right. Demons are from the devil. You are from your father, the devil. He already told them. And uh, he said, I'm not possessed by the devil. I'm not possessed by demons. Because who is he possessed by? The Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit. And don't we talk about blasphemy against the Holy Spirit during the life of Jesus at some point? Yes, we could tie all that in. But you can see where he's, where, what he's talking about. And he goes on, he says, I'm not seeking glory for myself. But there's one who seeks it. And he is the judge. I tell you the truth, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Now, I guess the question I want to ask you, why are they slandering Jesus? Why are they really making these horrendous, slanderous, uh, and racial slurs against Jesus? Why do you think they're doing it? These rulers, these teachers of the law. These Pharisees, these self-righteous Pharisees, why are they slandering Jesus? Why do you think? He's taking the people away from them. What's that? He's taking the people away from them. Yes. Power. Yes. What did, somebody said it. Power. 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 They had all kinds of power, didn't they? What the Pharisees say, go. If, I, if I'm a Pharisee at that time and Doug is uh, just uh, a common man, I can say, Doug, you should not marry this person. You should not go to this place for lunch. You should do this in the morning. You should wash your hands that way. And you know what Doug would have to say if he's a Jew? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Now Jesus is coming and say, you don't need to do any of that. So he's losing his power. And basically it's because of their pride. Their pride. I, I've got the right way. I've got the way to heaven. They yes. The they wanted to be it. They wanted to be the authority. The final authority. And that goes back to their pride, doesn't it? It's all about their pride. So that's why this is going on. Verse 52. At this the Jews exclaimed, Now we know you're demon-possessed. Abraham died and so did the prophets, yet you say that if anyone keeps your word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Ooh, this scares me to read it. <laughs> but it's interesting how Jesus said what he said about You'll never see death in any knowing, of course, what they're going to say. He uses that to bring in Abraham. This is going to be a very important point. 
He's just, he's glad that they've already brought up Abraham and he wants more of this Abraham discussion because they revere Abraham as the father of their race. So Jesus said in verse 54, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My father who you, who you claim is God is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I'd be a liar like you, but I do know him and I keep his word. Your father, here he goes back to Abraham. Your father, Abraham, rejoiced. And this is an important verse. Underline this verse in your Bible. Mark this verse somehow. Your father, Abraham, rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He what? He saw it and was glad. What did Abraham see? Jesus said, Abraham saw my day. What did he see? Think back. What did Abraham see? Go back to the first thing that happened with Abraham. What was God's promise to Abraham? Be the father of many nations. Be the father of many nations. And Abraham saw the day when, as the father of many nations, out of his seed would come the Messiah. I believe that he saw Jesus' day at one other time too. Well, probably many times, but he saw the day of the Messiah at one other time as well. What other time do you think that might be in the life of Abraham? Anybody have a guess? What? Before the sacrifice. The sacrifice of his son. I think Abraham saw his day and was glad. Abraham saw the fact that God, don't, don't slay your son. Look, I've provided you a sacrifice. Behold the lamb. So he saw his day and was glad. Now, let's go ahead and read verse. The next verse is our, no, no, verse 57, I'm sorry. You are not yet 50 years old. They have no idea where he's going with this. You are not yet 50 years old. And the Jews said to him, and you have seen Abraham? Now, here it is, verse 58, the key to this whole chapter. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered. Before Abraham was born, I am. All right, we've talked about this a lot, but I want to review it again one more time this morning. Was born. Before, before you know, Abraham, it says, was born in verse 58. The, 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 uh, the Greek word is uh, genomai. Genomai is different. Now, the reason I'm saying it's important to to understand this. I'm not just saying this so we can all say, oh, we know some Greek words. This is important. Before, let's read it again, verse 58. Before Abraham was born, before Abraham, genomai, it means to begin, to come into existence, to receive being. He said, before Abraham came into existence, to begin to be, to receive being, then Jesus said, Ego am I. Ego am I. I am. I am. The eternality. Go back to Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. Just jot it down, read it later on. Moses and, and God are meeting. God's saying, Go lead my people out of Israel, out of Egypt, and, and take them into the promised land. And he said, Well, who do I tell them? So I said, I don't want to go. I, I don't do this very well. He said, no, you go. Well, who do I tell him sent me? He said, tell him the I am has sent you. Here's what it said. God said to Moses, I am who I am. 
This is, who, this is what you say to the Israelites, I am, capitalized, I am, has sent me to you. So, the Hebrew word is hayah. Hayah, hayah. I am, I am. Exist, exist. He says, I am, I was, I am to come. That's what I am is. Jesus is saying, they know Exodus 3, 14, the Jews. They know this. And they say, you are saying that you are the same person I am? Yes, I am. It goes on. Let me just read you. See, I am is the personal name of God, used in the Old Testament as the personal name of God. And the question here is about pre-existence. And Jesus is leading him to the point where he said, I existed before Abraham. And so I've got two experts that wrote something that I just can't, can't pass by because it explains it so well. If you read Vincent's word studies, the guy's one of the leading experts on the Greek language. Here's what he said about this, about this verse. It is important to observe the distinction between the two verbs. Abraham's life was under the condition of time and therefore had a temporal beginning. Hence, Abraham came into being or was born. Jesus' life was from and to eternity. Hence, the formula for absolute, timeless existence, I am. You go, am I? Now, an explanation in English that we can all understand is, let me go to the next, next slide. Barclay wrote a great commentary on the Gospel of John. Here's how he summed it up. I can't say it better than this. Jesus did not say before Abraham was, I was, but before Abraham was, I am. Big difference, isn't there? He said, here's the claim that Jesus is timeless. There is only one person in the universe who is timeless. There is only one person who is above and beyond time and who can always say, I am. And that one person is who? God. In Jesus, we see the timeless God who was the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, who was before time and who will be after time, who always is. In Jesus, the eternal God showed himself to men. So, Jesus is now clearly equating himself with God. Clearly. There's no doubt. Uh, he's equating himself with Psalm 90, verse 6. Psalm 90, verse 6. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Just jot these down. Same as in Revelation chapter 1, verse 8. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. Revelation 13, 8. All whose names have not been written in the book of life belonging to the Lamb that was slain from the creation of the world. The Lamb that was slain from the creation of the world. Amazing. So the Jews, you know, out of all the books that we, we call our Old Testament, the book of Isaiah was the supreme prophecy to them. And is to us even today, of course. If you go see the Dead Sea Scrolls, one of the, one of the things that you see that's the most fascinating is the complete Isaiah that we have in our Bibles today. They knew these two verses of Scripture. They knew exactly what he was saying. 
They knew he was claiming Isaiah 44, 6. This is what the Lord says, Israel's King and Redeemer, the Lord Almighty. I am the first and the last. Apart from me, there is no God. See why they're getting stirred up? They knew Isaiah 47, 8. I am and there is none beside me. And then in verse 59, back in our text, what did it say that they wanted to do when they heard this? What? They wanted to stone him. Why? Leviticus 24, 16, anyone who blasphemes the name of the Lord must be put to death. The, the entire assembly must stone him. Part of the, my title to the lesson, not the church's title of the lesson, so this is the add-in part, is to put down your rocks. Put down your stones. They started with the stone of unbelief. They said, we don't believe that you are God. We don't believe that you are the I Am. So what are they doing? They picked, they picked up their stone and said, we want to stone you because, just as we hear today, when we are confronted, many times we are confronted with the true identity of Jesus, people do one of two things. They throw the stone of unbelief or they run to the rock of ages. One of the two. And then so Jesus said, put that stone down. But it was also another stone, wasn't it? It was the stone of condemnation, which is the theme of this whole chapter. It was the stone of condemnation. They were condemning him because of his claims of deity, because of his, he's saying, I'm the light of the world, as Dennis talked last Sunday. They're condemning him. Just as you, if you stand up in your place of work or in your neighborhood, and many times you stand up and say, they say, well, let's be tolerant of all these, and you say, no, Jesus is the way. He is the only way. Then here comes the rock of condemnation. So we need to put that one down. Now, go back to verse 1, chapter 8. Quickly, Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him. And he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in an act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Have you, have you, is it interesting? They're quoting the law. and They have this woman here uh, that's taken in adultery. What's missing? The man. Because the man. How, 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 they, they don't care about this woman and about the adulterer. What do they care about? They're condemning Jesus and, and catching him and trapping him. And what a shameful experience. Can you, I can't even imagine this happening. Now, what do you say? They were using the question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. No, I don't know what he was writing. Neither do you. We'll find out in heaven someday. I'd like to think about what he was writing. Could be writing their sins. I've heard people say he's writing their sins. Okay, uh, uh, Joseph, here's, uh, you going to throw a rock? Let me just write down what you did. And they kept on questioning. He straightened up and he said to them, if any, if, you, if, if any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away, go away one at a time. Do you see who goes away first? The older ones. I'll let you draw your own conclusions from that. 
until only Jesus was left with a woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, and he's about to talk to her. Is there something unusual about that? A rabbi speaking with a woman in public? Strictly forbidden. And he said, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, sir. Then neither do I condemn thee. Go now, leave your life of sin. So what is Jesus saying here? I got four more rocks in my bag. And I started thinking about this about five years ago. God got a hold of my heart through this story. He started teaching me something that I'm still working on. And that's about Christians throwing rocks. Christians with rocks and they're carrying around rocks. Christians carry around many times uh, the rock of self-righteousness. I got my rock here. I'm saved by faith, but boy, after that, you better, be, you better do some good works. You're not as spiritual as I am. I'm throwing that rock at you. Uh, I, I've been to church before when everybody there had a rock in their hand. I remember as a kid, I was in a, uh, I was in a youth group, and we had, we had all uh, started going out and telling people about Christ. There was a sort of a revival within this youth group, and it was, it was a fascinating time. But I remember people getting saved from all walks of life. And I remember a, 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 a guy coming who had, had had a tough, tough, tough life already, only as... Uh, at 16, 17 years old. Drugs, the whole thing. And he came, and so he got saved. He came to visitation, and he came dressed shabbily. And I remember a teenager saying to the youth leader, hey, you, you, you think we ought to tell him that he, you know, he shouldn't dress like that going out on visitation? What's wrong with him? And that youth leader turned around and ripped me to pieces. And you know what he told me to do? Hey, self-righteous, you need to put down that rock of self-righteousness. You need to put down that rock. And a lot of Christians need to put down that rock. When you condemn others who are not as spiritual as you are, you've got a rock you need to put down. You see, many of us feel like grace is a one-way street. I get all this grace, but I'm not going to give any of it back to anybody else. So put that rock down. Then there's the rock of self-rightness. Self-rightness. I'm right, you're wrong. It's not my fault. It's your fault. And so many times it's the pride that of this rock right here that destroys relationships. Christian relationships. I'm right, you're not. You're wrong. And I, I think the older folks get it much quicker sometimes than the younger folks get it. I wish I'd got it much, much, much younger so that I would put this rock down a long time ago. I'm not always right. Matter of fact, most of the time I'm not. This, this rock right here is, has ruined many marriages. The rock of rightness. 
I'm right. It's, it's, it's not my fault. We need to put the rock of rightness down. And then there's the rock of resentment. The rock of resentment. You hurt me and I'm not going to let it go. I've got this big rock of anger and I'm not letting go of it. Let me tell you something, Christian. If that's in your bag of rocks, you'll be an unhappy person until you put that rock down. The last rock is the rock of revenge. You hurt me and you're going to pay. You hurt me and you're going to pay. Drop that rock and walk away. My kids used to say this to me a lot. My wife still says it to me. When I let keep on and keep on and keep on about something, sometimes in jest, sometimes truthfully, they give me this, the, the same line. Dad, let it go. <laughs> Have a hard time learning that one. Dad, let it go. I think that's what Jesus was modeling the principle of drop the rock. I said it was all about condemnation. Look at verse 10, 11 again. Jesus said, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one. Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. John 3.17. We know it's 3.16, don't we? But have you looked at John 3.17 lately? For God did not send His Son into the world to what? Condemn the world, but to what? To save the world. And you know what? God didn't send us into the world to condemn the world. He sent us in the world to do what? To save the world. Didn't the pastor just talk about it this morning in Matthew chapter 28? Go ye therefore into all the world and condemn them for their sin. <laughs> That's not what he said. Uh, get, on, get, on, uh, get in the van and drive down to uh, uh, Ciudad Acuna and condemn them for their sin. That's not what God said. He said, go help them. Go seek to see them come to Jesus. There's a difference between, and it's an important difference. It's not talking about condoning sin. I'm talking about condemning sinners. It's a big difference. I believe in be ye holy for I am holy. But it was directed to me. Be ye holy for I am holy. It's not for me to say, Mike, you be holy. Because you're not. I, can't, I don't know that. I cannot condemn him. I can't condone perhaps what he might do, but I could never condemn him. Never. That's not my position. Only God is the person that condemned. And when Jesus knelt down to write and gets up and the woman's there, he's the only one that condemn her, that can condemn her, isn't he? Let the one that's first, the first one, the one with you that has no sin, you cast the rock. Jesus gives away. He's the only one that could cast the rock <laughs> because he didn't sin. That's all we did. He said, I didn't get up, I didn't, I didn't come here to condemn her. So I'll go back to what I, I harp on. I don't like the phrase, love the sinner, hate the sin. Love the sinner, hate their sin. I don't like that. It's not biblical. Well, I love the sinner, but I hate their sin. 
Love the sinner, hate your sin. Love the sinner, hate my sin. I don't have time to condemn them for their sin. I, I, my job is not to condemn. God will do that in eternity. My job is to love the sinner and hate my sin because my sin separates me from my Savior. So I ask you to do this. Remember Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're in Christ Jesus today, there's no condemnation. So we don't take the place of God and condemn others. And if you've got a rock or two that you're using to throw at people, I would suggest you think about putting your rock down. Let's pray. Lord, we uh, need your grace to do this. Our human temptation and desire, even as Christians, because of our pride, is to pick up a rock and cast it at others in a condemning fashion rather than saying, I love you and I want you to know Jesus. I, I love you and I want you to, to be stronger in Christ. I love you as a Christian brother. I don't condemn you, I love you. I have my own sin to work, about, work, work with and, and to get, uh, get help with. And sometimes I, I see others. I, I may see an addict and say, oh, you're, you're, you, your life is ruined and how can you do that? And I'm condemning and condemning when you've called me to provide the same grace you provided me. We thank you for this modeling that you gave us in chapter 8, verse 1 through 11. When you knelt down, rode in the sand, got up and said, where are your accusers? Neither do I condemn thee, go and sin no more. Give us this week a week of finding those who've been condemned and offering grace to them. In Jesus' name, amen.